Good morning, everybody. So we'll be picking up today in Matthew uh, chapter 8. We will get started good at verse 23, and we'll do a little pickup to that point. Um, In the little ministry um, snapshots that Matthew gives us uh, at the conclusion of the Sermon on the Mount, uh, we learned about the cleansing of the leper. Uh, the cleansing, or rather the healing of the centurion's uh, servant, and then the healing of Peter's mother-in-law. And one commentator uh, highlighted the different boundaries that uh, Jesus broke by doing those things. Uh, The first one was uh, kind of breaking the boundary of this purity, this um, Leviticus. If you had this weird skin disease, you you were outcast. Uh, Jesus easily crossed that and reached out uh, to this person. Um, the centurions, the, the servant, the Gentile, not only a Gentile, but a Roman, a, an, an occupier of the country, a foreigner um, who was um, exerting authority over that territory, um, but yet Jesus wasn't put off by that and and honored the faith that he had. And then uh, what may not be obvious, but uh, this this gender boundary uh, of healing um, Peter's mother-in-law, connecting there and touching this this woman. Um, after he does all these things, uh, it says in verse 18 that there was a crowd around him, and it says he gave orders to go to the other side. And at that point is when the a scribe comes up to him, and there's this exchange back and forth saying, you know, teacher, I'm going to follow you. And Jesus, in essence, says, well, not so quick. You need to consider what you're fixing to sign up for. Um, I don't have, you know, an established school of theology. Uh, I don't have um, uh, a curriculum. Uh, I don't have uh, a place where I'm going to be guaranteed to sleep every night. Uh, And therefore, neither would you. And uh, then there's this other negotiation with, it says, another of the disciples. And we don't know uh, which disciple this was. Uh, There were, you know, this doesn't just mean the the people that would be called the 12. Uh, There were a number of people that uh, were following him that were trying to align themselves uh, with Jesus. And um, it says, you know, let me go, let me go bury my father. And the assumption is that uh, this was a, Uh, say, I want to follow you, but not right now. And the assumption is that the the father wasn't dead yet. And uh, Jesus says, um, you know, follow me, let the dead bury the dead. And a way to think about that is, uh, let those who are spiritually dead take care of those who are physically dead. But if you want to follow me, uh, you need to consider what you're signing up for. And so when verse 23 picks up and says, and when he got into the boat, his disciples followed him, that's carrying out the orders that he gave back in verse 18. And this is a very clear sign-up sheet, right? You're either in the boat or you're not in the boat. Uh, you know, you can sign up for something and then change your mind. You can, um, you know, volunteer. You can be, have an invitation. You can RSVP and not go. Uh, and those things happen, but not when you're getting on a boat, Right. Uh, you're either in the boat and you're leaving or you're not in the boat and you are left. And so uh, this was, a, uh, I think, an important little interlude there at the end of um, 
uh, this section where Jesus says, all right, uh, just, just so you know, fair warning, uh, here's what it's going to be like. Um, but it says he got into the boat, his disciples followed him. And we're going to cover three um, additional uh, snapshots of Jesus' ministry. Um, I think they'll all be very familiar to you, uh, but we're going to look at each of these. And uh, one of the um, commentators uh, I, I read uh, kind of categorized these and said, you know, look at them this way, and another said, look at them that way, and I think they're both valid. It's like, I don't know how modern day 3D glasses work in the movies. I'm assuming it's a polarization effect uh, because when you look at them, they look like sunglasses and you can't tell much difference. But in the old days, remember the old days of 3D glasses? And it had two different colored lenses, right? Uh, there was like was some cellophane stuff, but it was, one was a, a green filter, one was a red filter, and that affected what you saw, and when your brain put it all together, it, you get this 3D image. And I think that's fair for this passage, that we can have two different filters that we can look at this. One filter is the filter of peace. How does Jesus bring peace to the different situations here? The other filter is authority. How does Jesus bring or display his authority to these things? And I think, you know, we, we easily see this in the names of Jesus, right? Wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the prince of peace, right? So we get this mighty God, prince of peace in this section. Um, what do we call our police officers? Well, he was the authorities. Or... We might say he's a peace officer. I think we see some of that uh, here. All right, so verse 24. And behold, there arose a great storm on the sea, so that the boat was being swamped by the waves. But he was asleep. And they went and woke him, saying, Are you not going to help us bail? Are you not going to help us row? No, that's not exactly what they said, but that's probably what they were thinking. Save us, Lord, we are perishing. And he said to them, Why are you afraid, O you of little faith? Then he rose and rebuked the, rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. And the men marveled, saying, What sort of man is this that even winds and sea obey him? So uh, who's been in a boat when it's been really stormy? All right, somebody with a quick story. Who's been in a boat when it's been really stormy? Give me a story. I was in a small uh, sailboat. Okay. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> Who else? Can we have a story? Yes. We had a cruiser and we were moving from uh, the Missouri River down to Alton and come back up the Mississippi to Quincy, Illinois. Okay. And we knew it would take four, maybe five days to make this trip. Two teenage daughters, my husband and I. And on the Missouri River, it's very narrow. And as if barge traffic came, you had to get 
way, way over in order not to be swamped by the barge. So it was foggy and it was raining and it was so dark that I had to set out on the bow of the boat and tell my husband which direction to go because we couldn't see the buoys to keep us in midstream. This went on for five days, going, going down the Missouri and up the Mississippi. And when I finally got off that boat, I could, I, I'm serious, I was, I was still on the boat. <laughs> I, I hear you. It took two days to get rid of it. I hear you. Um, uh, yeah, it's it's scary. Ken? I uh, caught a gust in a small sailboat, and it healed over seriously. Oh, wow. Leanne was back at the dock, and she said she was seeing the entire bottom. It was a flat-bottom boat to boot. And it was, she saw the entire bottom of the boat. It was that far, but it came back up again. Yeah, if, if you don't really appreciate how big the body of water you are is in, um, yeah, just get in a boat. And even the biggest boat, can seem really, really small. Um, probably many of you have been on a cruise. I had never been on a cruise until my 50th birthday. And Merritt says, everybody we know has been on a cruise. And I want to take you on a cruise for our birthday. So I did. And uh, so we, we really had a marvelous time. We were on this Royal Caribbean boat, Oasis of the Seas. At the time, it was the biggest. And, and now, just by a few feet, is, is still the biggest cruise ship in the world. And um, and there was this storm that came up. We didn't think much of it. They later called it Sandy. <laughs> and uh, on the last couple of days, uh, we, were, we were in 65 mile an hour winds. And even though we were in a very, very, very big boat, um, it, was, it was being tossed around uh, a lot. Um, somebody said that a hurricane is the most powerful event on Earth. Uh, they calculated the actual energy in a hurricane. If you took the combined nuclear arsenals of the entire world, it would not equal to one big hurricane. That's a lot of power. That's a lot of power. Nature can show you where you are in a heartbeat. And so here we are on the Sea of Galilee, which I, if the calculations I saw were correct, is about twice the size, a little more than twice the size of Lake Watery. So not a massive lake. Um, here they were, and it came up suddenly. And we know that these were fishermen. They knew their way around a boat. Um, in fact, they may have even known that there was a chance of a storm coming if they, if they were paying attention. In any event, uh, they freak out, and they wake Jesus up. And there are several comments that people have made on this. Um, one is, uh, this storm came while they were following Jesus. We have this impression that am I in God's perfect will? I've shared my thoughts about that concept in the past, which I don't know that there is such a thing, but um, I'm in God's perfect will, so everything is going to be calm and smooth. What do we say? Smooth sailing, right? That's what we say, smooth sailing. These people are following Jesus. They've done that gut check about, am I going to follow Jesus or not? And they said, I'm in, literally, the boat. And the storm comes up, and they have to be thinking, what did I sign up for? And when we present the gospel to people, we need to be fair, just like Jesus was. Uh, this is not you know, a prosperity gospel that we're preaching. 
This is, we're following a God who, while he was here on earth, suffered much, if not most of the time. And why should we be shocked that it's any different for us? Why should we be surprised? So, a storm at a distance is no big deal. When I see those hurricane pictures, no big deal. But when you're in one, your perspective changes. The storms that we see other people involved in, we can relate to more when we remember the storms that we've been in. So there's this connection there. One commentator said they had at least one necessary ingredient for faith. Their sense of helplessness, right? A sense of helplessness really amps up your faith because that's pretty much all you have. What do we do? We exhaust our own powers first, right? We try our stuff first. I'm sure they had a sail up. I'm sure they were rowing really hard. I'm sure somebody was bailing. Uh, I'm sure they had done all that. Maybe a drag anchor or whatever techniques. You're the mariner. Um, these people do. But they probably tried all that and said, you know, he's still sleeping. Uh, let's go wake him up. So their sense of helplessness fueled their faith. What did Jesus do? It says, he rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was great calm. This was a chaotic scene, and he brought peace to that scene. How did he do it? By exercising authority over that scene. Matthew, don't forget, his purpose is to unfold who Jesus is. He was unfolding who Jesus was and is to a group of people who knew the backstory. They knew the backstory of Adam and Eve and Moses and the Exodus. And they also knew the backstory of Jonah. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea, and there was a mighty tempest on the sea, so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid, and each cried out to his God. Sound familiar? They were nervous. Jonah, realizing what was going on, he says, Pick me up. Hurl me into the sea, then the sea will quiet down for you, because I know it's because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land. Still trying that last thing. Just, yeah, whatever, Jonah. Let's keep rowing. But it says the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore, they cried out to the Lord. Lord, let us not perish for this man's life and lay not on us innocent blood. For you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea. And the sea ceased from its raging. Boom. Even when the storm passes by, it's not all of a sudden. It's a gradual fade. These two storms, a lot of authority. So when 
the writers tell this story or when Jesus gives this lesson, it harkens back. Who is it that has authority over nature? Just God. There's that authority. Scene number 2, verse 28, Matthew 8. And when he came to the other side, to the country of the Gadarenes, two demon-possessed men met him coming out of the tombs, so fierce that no one could pass that way. And behold, they cried out, What have you to do with us, O Son of God? Have you come here to torment us before the time? Now a herd of many pigs was feeding at some distance from them, and the demons begged him, saying, If you cast us out, send us away into the herd of pigs. And he said, Go. So they came out and went into the pigs, and behold, the whole herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned in the waters. The herdsmen fled, and going into the city, they told everything, especially what had happened to the demon-possessed men. And behold, all the city came out to meet Jesus, and when they saw him, they begged him to leave their region. Several surprising things in this story, things that would have been a shock to any Jew. One is, Jesus went on purpose to this area that was a Gentile populated area. This region of the Gadarenes. This would, if the Sea of Galilee was in Lancaster, they would, this would be like Heath Springs. Southeast. Okay? Southeast of the Sea of Galilee. It says two demon-possessed men came A Jew wouldn't have gone purposely to a Gentile area. A good Jew wouldn't have been hanging out with people that were demon-possessed. And a good Jew certainly wouldn't have been near a cemetery. Boom, boom, boom. Boundary after boundary. Those didn't apply to Jesus. He's just doing his thing. Some of you might say, well... I don't remember hearing about two men. Um, we often go to Mark's gospel for a fuller story uh, of this event. Um, the inference is that Matthew, as he was collecting his data, he heard that there was another guy, so he put two in there. Um, probably not, it's probably the same event uh, that they're talking to. Uh, no, no big controversy there just because uh, Matthew includes two and Mark and Luke just mentioned the one. One commentator made the point that this is basically a retelling of the story right before. He says, This is a more vivid version of the previous one, the stilling of the storm. Think of the wild sea with wind and waves doing their worst. Now turn that into a human being with wind and waves inside them. Some people have approached this passage um, as discussing demons, which is what my Bible says. Uh, some people have approached this passage as uh, mental illness, as um, some people might think. Um, 
Are there people who are demon-possessed that might appear mentally ill? I believe that. Are there people that are mentally ill who are Christians and are not possessed? I believe that too. Um, it's hard to sort all this out, but my Bible says that there were two demon-possessed men, so I believe that there were two demon-possessed men. One commentator made the observation um, a little more highlighted in the Mark passage, but said there were three prayers in this passage. There was the, the prayer that, what's a prayer? Asking God for something. So there's Jesus, God incarnate. Um, one prayer was from the demons. Hey, don't just send us out nowhere, send us into the pigs. Was that prayer answered? Yep. One prayer was the townspeople. They begged him, would you please leave? Was that prayer answered? Yep, he left. The third prayer was from one of the men who had been released from the demons, the one who had been healed by Jesus. And he, it says in Mark, he begged Jesus, can I go with you? Was that prayer answered? It wasn't. How crazy is that? He said, no. You go back. You go back. Somebody could probably expand on that. But, you know, we just got through this section not long ago about asking, seeking, knocking, right? Our God is a good father. And even an earthly father, if you ask for a fish, is he going to give you a snake? No, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? So here we see an example where this was a basically a new Christian asking in faith, can, can I go with you? And the answer is not yes, it's no. Because Jesus has something else in mind. So... Storms are going to happen even when we're following Jesus. Prayers are going to be said no to even when we're sincere and doing it with the right motives. Did Jesus bring peace to these men? Yes. Did Jesus show his authority over the demons and over Satan? Yes. One final comment on this. They make the point that, let's see, where's my notes? It sh one commentator says, this shows what Satan does to men, robs him of his sanity and self-control, fills him with fears and robs him of the joy in home and friends. And it also shows what society does, restrains him, isolates him, and threatens him. That sadly still happens. See number three. Chapter 9, verse 1. And getting into a boat, he crossed and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, 
Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. And behold, some of the scribes said to themselves, This man is blaspheming. But Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why do you think evil in your hearts? For which is easier to say, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he then said to the paralytic, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he rose and went home. When the crowd saw it, they were afraid, and they glorified God, who had given such authority to men. So in plain language, we hear everyone recognized this is no wannabe rabbi. This is no... Um, this is not what we're used to seeing. Some young guy saying he wants to be a rabbi. You know, he talks a good talk. No, that's not who this is. The crowd saw it, and two responses. They were afraid, and they glorified God because he had given such authority to men. I heard one time a pastor went through all the Gospels and cataloged all the different ways that you could be saved. For someone who was raised in a very conservative Southern Baptist tradition where it says there's only one way I was taught to be saved, right? You confess your sins, you ask God to forgive you of your sins, um, accepting his work on the cross as payment for your sins and being seen as righteous because God was right, or Jesus was righteous, how does that apply to this passage? If you read this literally, and that's how I tend to read the Bible, and again, if someone landed on this page, not having been raised in a church setting, if they just read it as plainly as they could read it, it basically says, if your friends have enough faith, your sins can be forgiven. Right? It says, And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my sons, your sins are forgiven. Now, we might want to massage this verse a little bit and say, Well, you know, yeah, he saw their faith, and Jesus, that compelled Jesus to have compassion, and then maybe there was some sort of eye contact, and, and Jesus knew that the person had you know, was expressing their own faith just by being there. And it was really the paralytic's faith that prompted that forgiveness. Um, but we have to admit, there's a few little somersaults that we're having to do to get to that point. And I'm not making a big deal about this. I'm not saying that, uh, you know, if, if uh, you gather enough friends around a person and bring them, then they're going to be forgiven, but it is interesting to me. It is interesting to me, and I'm not, you know, uh, I, I find this way more a curious verse than the fact that there were two men in Matthew's account and one man in Mark's account. This is, this is cr crazy stuff here. Verse 6 says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So here's Jesus referring to himself. This is actually the second time that Jesus has 
referred to himself as a son of man in Matthew. The first time was in this section that I kind of glossed over back in uh, between 18 and 22 in verse 20 of Matthew 8. It says, And Jesus said, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Again, Jesus is primarily speaking, and in that section and in this section in chapter 9, he is clearly speaking to people with a Jewish background, as Matthew is, and we learn not too long ago about the Son of Man back in Daniel. Daniel 7, verse 13. Daniel's having one of his visions. He says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven, there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, who was presented before him. And to him, that's to the son of man, was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom one that shall not be destroyed. Those are phrases that could only apply to deity. Only deity lasts forever. Only deity um, has all peoples, nations, and languages serving him. And this person coming on the clouds like a son of man. So when Jesus starts referring to himself, he does in different areas, but Son of Man was not something that the average person was referring to themselves about as. I'm not sure I could say that any more awkwardly. <laughs> the point is, Jesus uses that term Son of Man, and he does it in places where people, Son of Man. I know what that means. Is he referring to, hmm, that's kind of that's kind of bold for him to be using that phrase, and then of course in this section with the paralytic, he backs it up. Three times we see this phrase, "Rise, rise," and he rose. Ultimately, Jesus rose and went home, just like this man did. This man rose and went home. Um, here you have a little foreshadowing of the resurrection. And what's it connected to? The forgiveness of sin. Right? Those two things are connected. Did he bring peace to this paralytic? No doubt. You ever seen someone who's paralyzed? We talked about those people in the boat feeling helpless. But when you're paralyzed and somebody is feeding you, bathing you, taking care of your hygiene needs, turning you so you won't get a bed sore, moving you to one side of the bed so they can change the sheets so they can roll you to the other side of the bed and change the rest of the sheets. I mean, talk about helpless, shameful, embarrassing and you get a good pair of nurses aides can have somebody cleaned up beds changed it's amazing 
special wipes, special absorbent pads, all that sort of stuff. You think they had all that back then? When this guy was able to rise up out of his own filth, if nothing else. Amazing. Amazing. He brought peace to that man, for sure. We serve a powerful God. He can still bring peace. He can still bring authority. And that's, that's really all we've got to count on. This leads up, and we'll get into it next week, what Matthew probably thought was those most, in spite of how crazy and amazing all these three things were, what's even more amazing is he can save a tax collector. So that's what we pick up. Let's close. Father, we thank you that you bring all the authority that's ever needed to any situation that needs it. And you alone have the ability to bring the only peace that can last. We thank you that we can access that through your son. In his name I pray. Amen. Thanks, everybody.